welcome to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast. I am acting as your host. My name is Trisha Murphy, and I serve as the Development Director within the College of Education at MTSU. Now, this is a, a fun opportunity for us to connect with so many of our alumni and friends, and we know that so many of us are finding ourselves at home with children, juggling responsibilities, and yet still wanting to ensure that our students and our, our children are moving forward. And today we are with Dr. Lando Carter, who serves as an assistant professor in our educational leadership department and also tinkers in the assessment, learning, and school improvement area. Is that correct, Dr. Carter? Yep, that's correct. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, today we're talking about creativity. I, I don't think of myself as a creative person, and it wasn't until recently that I had a friend tell me, you know, solving problems is, is a form of creativity. And so I'm really excited, Dr. Carter, to talk about creativity today and how so many of us as parents um, might not look at, look at ourselves in the mirror and say you're creative. So why is creativity important for us to implement in our own home classrooms? That's a, that's a great way to start because creativity is not bound to a single domain. In fact, that's one of the big myths about creativity is that it's for a certain type of person. Uh, David Burkus, his book, The Myths of Creativity, he talks about the breed myth, which is there's a particular type of person that is capable of being creative or more uh, born to be creative. And that is typically the arts folks. And that's a huge myth that, you know, just a person that writes poems or paints on a canvas is, is creative. In fact, one of my favorite examples of creativity is Jonas Salk. And that comes from uh, the polio vaccine, and he had to ask, what if? What if we could solve it this way? And then he has to take that what if and, and bring it into reality. And of course, it's, it's also a joyful thing to participate in, no matter what, what subject you're dealing with. And, you know, I think for a lot of schools, we, we've found out in recent weeks that we're out for summer, essentially. But many of us don't want our, our students or our children to, to go into this idle stage. <laughs> I think it's fair for two to three months. So creativity at home, um, you know, you mentioned to me offline something in your bonus room. Would you be willing to share that with our audience? Yeah, we actually have in our bonus room where our girls play, we have two words on the wall, play and create. It's very important to us because there's basically two major reasons why you want to be creative. Uh, First is very practical, uh, being successful in a 21st century global economy. You must have ideas that maybe other people just don't have. But the second benefit is one that I'm really passionate about, which is in the joy of, of being creative is, is very human. We're designed to be such beings. Those are very important things for us. Our, our, our children do a lot of math, a lot of Legos, a lot of drawing, a lot of play acting. We do, we do all of it in, in all those areas. Like, for example, my girl came up with this idea for a comic book character, Super Donut. And that came just out of nowhere for her thinking of what a, a neat character in a story could be. And then I worked with her to help create the villain, which I call the crueler, that collaborative piece there in, in creativity. But it's not just for uh, short stories or poems or comics. It's for everything. So we, we find it to be economically beneficial and also uh, personally fulfilling to be creative. You know, you talked about kind of debunking some harmful myths about creativity. What would you say to parents who, who are maybe looking, looking at their phones right now at our voices and saying, 
but I'm not creative. Yeah, that's that's actually something we run into in a lot of workshops that Dr. Cranville and I give is that people look at us and they're like, wait a minute, I'm creative. And they've spent their whole lives thinking opposite. Uh, I grew up in a construction household. Uh, we I grew up on a construction site. And to be creative, that would have been relegated to something like the arts, not what my brother and my father do, which is actually quite creative, uh, run the numbers, but also make it look pretty, you know? So they would not consider themselves creative people, and yet they very much are. And then I found out years later as an adult that my father can play piano. Oh my goodness. And he would never tell because it's just not tough. So there's just not a particular type of person or gene that is something that denotes creativity. It's there for all of us, but often we just latch on to things that we've been told about what you can and can't be. Well, and in textbooks, are there certain names for these different types of myths, these different type of people that we probably know or, or different ways in which we feel like people can or cannot be creative? Yeah, the breed myth is very detailed in the Myths of Creativity book by David Berkus, but uh, Mihai checks in Mihai. He conducted a study of over 95 people, I believe, tracking their behaviors and their backgrounds. And you're looking at men, women, poets, scientists, economists. Uh, all across every domain, he found that they have these um, signature traits, which is basically asking what if, challenging the powers that be, fusing things that don't belong in their domain with other things and coming out with innovations that uh, weren't there before. So it's really boundless in this idea of who gets to play this game of creativity and in what way. And a lot of the times, even when we think, okay, we can be creative, we fall into one of the other myths. And another one would be called the Eureka myth, which is oh, I'll I'll just wake up one day and I'll have this brilliant idea. And it's just not true. It takes years and years of thinking and tinkering to get an idea that's truly creative that actually works. And so once we even embrace the idea of, you know what, I'm going to be creative, then we might fall into the myth of, oh, wow, why isn't this just happening overnight? The Eureka myth is also pretty damaging because we see such pop culture examples where someone just wakes up in the first act of a film and then they have this breakthrough idea and boom, they're rich. And it's just not true. We talk about examples from real life. Uh, for example, the, the old story of uh, Thomas Edison. He tried, rumor has it, a thousand different ways for filaments for the light bulb. And by the way, he tried it with a team too, which is another one of the big myths that we can explore as well called the lone creator myth. And it's almost never done by, by someone alone in a basement. They're almost always with a team. And so you're finding that failure is an actual prerequisite to becoming a a creative person who has these breakthroughs. Let's take a look at 3M, for example. They make tape, they make scissors, they make everything. They're making masks right now for our crisis that we're in. Uh, The people that came up with the post-it note work for 3M. And from idea generation to actual post-it notes on the shelf, I believe was over a 10-year span of time. And so we're asking, can you work with a team over years of time, years of thinking, years of failing to get something groundbreaking idea or product or poem or vaccine? Yes, you're exactly right. Well, are there any other myths that we ought to keep in mind when we consider creativity? One of the ones that's really prevalent and we, we've got to address is called the constraints myth, which is if you just put too many rules on me, then I just can't be creative. And actually, when we're given the chance to do anything, we often do nothing. It's almost like scrolling through Netflix. It's just there's just too much. Yes. We don't pick anything. So actually, constraints are friends of creativity. So the constraints are a good thing. And that's where creativity in school comes in. So creativity in school, typically we think do not align. And in fact, the constraints of the curriculum, the constraints of the test force us to find out ways to break it, bend it, 
shatter it sometimes. Yes, absolutely. So curious to think about how much more we learn when we we're in that zone of being forced to do things differently. So think of the constraints of that famous scene in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. We're all crunching the numbers and we're saying, look, I've only got these materials. How am I going to get home? And they say, well, well, you can't do it with those materials. And they say, yeah, but what if we could do it this way? And then they, they break through and they do. We actually want constraints to push us to that creative place. Yes. There's no such thing as a good first draft. You just have to move forward <laughs> in right. order to, to, to actually get to where you, you want to be. Yeah. And that, and that speaks to one of the final things we'll say about the four big ideas to a creative curriculum. And one of those is actually fighting against the idea of students needing to be right, right now. Oh. We're challenging that culture of speed with a lot of our creativity work that we're doing and this idea that students need to be right, right now. Or could they be right later? And could they be right in different ways? And so that's something we write a lot about in our curriculum design for creativity. So helpful. Well, right now we're at home again, and we have the gift of space to collaborate with our kids. How can we really utilize that gift and steward it well right now? And why is that important to do that? We have four key elements we'd like to talk about in uh, creative learning for this segment. And one of those is uh, fostering collaboration. When we're at home, we can have that happen between uh, siblings or between the child and the parent. So now we're working on projects together, whether it's an art project, a measurement project. We're measuring a lot of things in the house right now, like the length of a particular uh, step and how it relates to a different step. And as you turn the staircase, do things stay the same? And so uh, we're collaborating together because all of the signature breakthroughs in human history have have been done in in teams. And align students, or our own children in this case, uh, with unlike mindsets. So maybe you've got one child that you really buddy up with. Well, work with the other one where you guys are a little bit different. There's a little friction there and you could actually get breakthroughs at your home. Yes, I know that probably resonates with a lot of listeners right now. <laughs> I know it doesn't mind. I mean, I have two two girls, and, and sometimes when we swap who's working with who, uh, there's an interesting dynamic there. There's an interesting shift, or whether we're working on a puzzle. Oh, what if we could play the game this way? Uh, maybe we could go faster. We were doing a ring toss game, something very just uh, basic out in the yard, and we're working on our throwing technique, and uh, one of the girls decided to throw it way up high to have a, have a high arc and it actually went onto the roof and we thought, Oh, that's great. If, if we could just uh, calibrate that and her next throw was, was just as high, but it was in the right direction and boom, right into the bucket. So. Yes. Okay. So the first point we wanted folks to understand here is collaboration is good in this time. Um, what would you say the second point is? Trying to promote fusion. That's actually one of the linchpins of, of being a creative person. So we're trying to help our students and our children fuse ideas by facilitating links between and across disciplines. And so maybe we're asking while we're working on a project at home, what if you did it this way? Oh, what if I could do it that way? One example is us building Legos. What's been neat is having the girls build their sets as done into the instruction books, but then actually break them and borrow from other sets and then start fusing them together to create something brand new all over again. And one of my favorite examples is actually from Prince. He decided in the studio in the early 80s to take the Lin One drum machine, a drum beat computer, basically. And he says, I'm going to use this and I'm going to break it. I'm going to make it my own. And he ran his guitar pedals through the back of the Lin drum machine and he ended up creating a sound that the machine was never designed to make in the first place. 
And if you listen to the opening of When Doves Cry, you hear what's called the door knock drum sound. That's what people started to call it because there was no name for it. So there's that. He actually created that sound and that had never been done. And in fact, it was never designed to even be done that way. Oh, that's so interesting to think about. Um, and, and also very encouraging. We have a lot of time. How can we really honor that time right now? I think one of the best gifts that we've been given is the chance to slow down. Creativity is by design something that needs incubation time. That's why we love projects so much is because you, you work on a project, you move away from it. Actually, you work on a different project and then you come back. So we get to tinker when we slow down. One of my favorite quotes is from Mitchell Resnick. He's out of MIT. He wrote a book called Lifelong Kindergarten. And the quote is, tinkerers understand how to improvise, adapt, and iterate. So they're never hung up on old plans as new situations arise. Tinkering mm -hmm. breeds creativity. And so the tinkerer is the agile learner. They can fail and then regroup and then try again. There's a tenacity, there's a grit, there's a perseverance, whatever word you want to call it, inside the tinkering mindset. And so we have a chance to do that now. We have a chance to build a Lego set and then go downstairs and work on a jigsaw puzzle and then go outside and play ring toss, as we said, mm -hmm. run on the scooter, whatever. And then we come back to those things. And so there's a great chance to actually space out our thinking over these weeks together. We're working on how to fuse them. All the things we just mentioned work inside of this slowing down mindset. Yes. You know, how do we we're trying to maintain these schedules that our students are in in school or our children are in. Dr. Carter, how do we maintain structure while also allowing space for these sweet moments of tinkering? Yeah, it's interesting because our K-12 system that we're so used to is so time-stamped and factory model-ish, if you want to say it that way, with the bells and the times. And what I would say is that at home, you want this sort of simultaneous loose and tight, which is actually the words that come out of our PLC literature in education, hmm. is that there are times that are uh, stamped in for certain things. And then there are times that are unbound for you to go and ask what if and play. Because we believe that through play, you, you do learn a great deal. And so I would say that a semi-structured schedule would be a great way to hoard learning for all in the home as we stay home. So for example, on certain days, we've got math followed by some uh, reading and then some exercise. We do karate lessons, but we don't do them every day. We swap those out with gymnastics or uh, being outside. So there's interleaving done, which means we're coming back to it as we move through the week. And so the, the stagnation kind of goes away. And so this is a chance to create a sort of loose and tight schedule so that you can uh, pivot as you go. Yes. And I think, you know, we're all just doing as best we can, truly. And I think um, this expertise is so helpful for our kids, no matter if you're working with a preschooler or all the way upwards, you know, middle school, or high schoolers. What would you say to parents saying, yeah, my kid just won't do that much independent play or my kid, um, you know, is, is yelling that they're bored. You know, I'm thinking like a middle schooler right now who just wants to be you know, on the stereotypical Xbox or whatever it might be. How can we promote this in a really reasonable way? One of the best things we can do is actually walk alongside our children as they tinker and create and play. And so we are involved in the projects they're working on, but they also see us working on our own projects. Mo Willems, for example, who wrote the Elephant and Piggy series, he actually says, you know, the kids need to see us failing, tinkering, zigzagging through our own creative projects. Without that, 
they really don't have a model uh, by which to follow that same footpath. And it was the same for me growing up on a construction site. I was always watching those things be built from nothing. And so we want to model from that the best we can. So I've got a jigsaw puzzle running downstairs. The girls have one that they're working on, but we're able to move back and forth between the puzzles as we please. I'm also working on computer upstairs. They come in, they see me tinkering, they see me messing things up and I'm trying and trying again. And then four days later, they see me working on the same project. They can see that there's an endurance that is needed there. So, so modeling for them is a great idea, but also walking alongside them through their own projects. Uh, we build Legos together. Okay. Then I also leave and I come back and there's some unbelievable structure that wasn't there before. So if we can just get involved and then also model for, I think it's going to be really helpful in keeping that boredom at bay because remember boredom is a form of constraints. We see it as this sort of, I'm, I'm locked in this place and I can't go. Well, now we're into the what if mindset. What if we could do it this way? What if we could put on a talent show after dinner? Oh, and yeah. That's when these breakthroughs come from these type of constraints. Oh, that's so good. My son has seen me work a lot because, you know, I love my job. I want to work. I love working full time. While my job is not innately frustrating, Excel sheets sometimes. Um, Dr. Carter can be frustrating. And so he's seen me struggle with, you know, sorting out and filtering an Excel sheet and trying to do a pivot table. And it was funny. He came up to my computer and said, mama, are you frustrated right now? Are you losing your temper? And I said, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't really feel, we, we say green as happy or calm. I don't really feel green right now. I feel a little yellow. I feel a little annoyed or you know, tired and hungry. <laughs> Um, but I am, I'm struggling, you know, with this work that I'm doing and mommy is frustrated. And he said, oh, well, you know, sometimes when I'm frustrated, I, I, I exercise. And, and that's something that he's heard me say, you know, and it's really funny for them to see us struggle and to see how we hopefully are implementing some of those healthy ways in which we deal with our feelings when we are feeling red or yellow in my family. <laughs> right. And those are all real emotions to feel. And to have them see that uh, for real from a fully functioning adult uh, can be very beneficial because any work worth doing really will take uh, multiple tries to get to that best version. And so the, the modeling from that is, is really important. So we show them our sketches, we show them our prototypes, and then they start building prototypes and sketches. And then they start refining them and then they make these uh, wonderful breakthroughs, whether it's a, a story they're writing or perhaps working on how to formulate a, a certain problem for math. It doesn't really matter. They, they can know that it's going to take multiple tries. And that is another signature of creative people is that they are not afraid to tinker and have unfinished products lingering about. And then they come, they come back to them when, when they need to. What Keith Sawyer calls failure indices, which is this sort of Rolodex of all the times I got it wrong, because you never know when you can reach back in and pull out a great prototype for a new new purpose. Yes. You know, Disney Plus right now has a really great documentary series um, about the Imagineers. And I've been in awe of the work that they do because you're exactly right. So many rides that we love at Disney World and Disneyland were really botched ideas a decade before. And I think that's good. That's good perspective. Mm -hmm. And see students, especially in the K-12 world, they really don't get to see that very often. They just get to see final products. And of course, children and citizens alike, they go and they see what's on the shelf. They don't get to see the messiness, the nonlinear zigzag path to something really, to really great. Another example, speaking of uh, Disney Plus, 
if you roll over to Netflix, you can see The Toys That Made Us, which is a great uh, kind of silly documentary series on how G.I. Joe came to be, or perhaps My Little Pony or Barbie. And so much of that was built on what if, well, what if we could do it this way? And multiple prototypes. Well, the G.I. Joe started looking this way, then it became this smaller figure. And then uh, the, lin- the nonlinear zigzag path toward that brand that you love is so interesting. And you can look at things like uh, the Imagineers, how we dreamed up an idea and how we got it to the finish line in those type of documentaries. Well, thank you again, Dr. Carter, so much for walking through these different um, areas of creativity that we can take advantage of right now. And just for our listeners to be able to, um, to really give them the, the quick lightning round do you mind just walking us through again those four elements? Sure. So first thing we want to think about is how can we collaborate and team up to be creative? Now, as we're collaborating, we can actually help fuse because we come from different backgrounds. We have different mindsets. So essentially, fusion is forcing things that don't go together to go together anyway. And a lot of times it doesn't work, but sometimes it does. And inside of all of this, the best thing we can do is actually slow down and honor the time it takes to create something a little bit different. So now we're tinkering. Now we're building prototypes. We're fusing, we're working in a team. And that team can also include the parents where we walk alongside students as they work on projects, as they tinker and build. And then they see us tinker and fail and tinker again. So those are the four key elements that we could use for a creative curriculum at your house. Collaborate, fuse, slow down and walk alongside. Perfect. Well, I once again have just been so enlightened by our experts in the College of Education and Dr. Carter, I just want to thank you again so much for sharing the importance of creativity in our everyday life. Thank you so much. Thank you. I invite you all to stay in touch with us online through our social media platforms by phone and of course email. Um, All of my information is on the website and as well as in the resources portion of this podcast. I'd love to hear from you and hear how these tips helped. Again, this is Trisha Murphy and you've been listening to the Classroom in Your Living Room podcast.